A very happy Father's Day to all fathers, and uh, welcome to our worship service online. Um, in about two Sundays, we will be meeting in person for those who would be interested in, willing to, and excited about uh, doing so. Um, I'd like to pray for all fathers, and so if you are a father, um, or a grandfather, or a father of a child who has not been born yet, you're still a father, uh, please uh, join with me and we will pray for you. Lord, we thank you that you are our Father and you give us the spirit of the Father even if we've never had a Father that we can remember or never had a Father who was present. We thank you, Lord, that by your spirit you have given us the spirit of the Father so that all of us who are fathers can function in the spirit of the Father. And so we ask you for that anointing. We ask you for that wisdom, that overarching and surrounding and um, supporting wisdom, that penetrating wisdom that we so greatly need, all of us who are fathers. We thank you for them, every father that's here, who has done their hardest, done their best to become a father to their children. We ask you that even now, you will come and expand that ability, expand the heart, the mind, the wisdom, the discretion, the touch, the sensitivity to this immense task at hand of fathering children. We ask you that even now that you will today make it a happy day for every father and every family. We commit all fathers to your hands right now and we ask you that even today you will even cause the beginning of a new dimension of your wisdom and your fatherhood upon each one of our lives. We bring before you every father in the church and ask for an out, outpouring, a fresh outpouring of your spirit upon them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Happy Father's Day. I would like to share with you about something that I feel is really important, and it's, uh, I believe, that something that's connected with the times that we are living in. I believe uh, that it would be a timely message for many. Last Wednesday, we had an extraordinary prayer meeting uh, during our daily prayer, noon prayer meeting. And as we were praying, I had a sense, and others did too, that, um, that many were at a place where they were being pushed to the edge, being pushed to a place of perhaps impotence or, 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 or not having resources to know what to do or to even move. They were being, being brought to a place of impossibility in which you were, they were stuck in a corner or at the edge of everything that they knew and everything that they had, and in the midst of immense uh, difficulties, immense threats, imme immense uh, disaster, many were feeling completely helpless. We had that sense of that being pushed to the edge, uh, the edge of, of everything of our own ability, and out, of, out on the outer edge was just nothing. 
And we began to pray into it. And as we began to pray into it, the Holy Spirit began to move in us. And throughout that prayer, something tangible almost seemed to be coming out of that. It was a Wednesday, I remember that. And it was extraordinary because what should have been a very uh, depressing prayer meeting became a prayer meeting that was full of joy, full of victory. And there was no physical evidence to um, back up that feeling. Except for the fact that we know that when we pray, and because of the Holy Spirit in us, the dimension of God's power, the dimension of the invisible, begins to show up. And it is of this stuff that miracles take, uh, have uh, um, obtained. And it's in this place that, that uh, as we prayed, we began to sense that we were being changed. That in the midst of the devastation and the, 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 the midst of just being at the edge with no resources to cope with the problems that were actually impending, God was filling us up. At the end of that prayer, someone said, we will remember this day. We will never forget this day. What is this day? What happened? We had had a prayer meeting. And there was not, no evidence to actually show, any physical evidence to show that something had taken, pla taken place, except that all of us who were on that prayer meeting, maybe 17 or 18 of us, had the, what we call the witness of the Holy Spirit, the same sense that God had moved. I will remember that day too. And sometimes... We are brought to such places. We are brought to the edge of everything that we know, everything that we know to do, all at the edge of all our resources, and we are faced with perhaps catastrophe. And the space around us to move has been constricted to such an extent that we have no place to go. And as we pray, as we prayed, there was this other dimension of reality that began, that, that began to rise up. And we begin to realize that faith is actually a substance. It is actually an almost tangible substance that can be uh, sensed and actually detected by the instrument of our spirit. The Lord has given us a spirit which causes us to transcend even the mental, empirical, and uh, sensory uh, dimension. And I want to talk about this because there are, there's, there are immense moments in our lives in which we can either feel completely devastated or they can be the pivotal points, pivotal moments in our lives. These are immense moments. They may be immensely depressing, but in terms of what God's going to be doing, these, are, these moments are actually very Huge. They are pivotal. The next day, um, one of those who were in prayer shared a testimony. She had been working in a college, and for the past four months, it was one of the most terrible and most uh, trying months because the whole campus, the whole campus staff, the academic staff, and the establishment were up, were, were just in full of anger, full of. Um, turmoil. And the whole atmosphere was not only unsafe, but it was actually dangerous. 
For four months, we prayed on and off. And the next day, and 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 the next day after that prayer meeting, which was a Thursday, he was supposed to make a presentation to the college board of trustees, and there were going to be about four or five college presidents who were going to be coming for that. She thought it was going to be just a, a small number of elites. In fact, in the end, for that presentation, there were about over there were hundreds of people who had actually come. The, the moment was immense. The moment was immense. And she had to, to present in, a, in, a, in an environment or in an atmosphere in which everything was stacked adversarially against her. People were, willing, were, were, were watching for her to fail, to fall flat on her face, and they were waiting for her to falter. Um, she tells me that a lot of people have no institutional memory. They can't remember the good that's been done. All they remember is a fluffing up. A gaffe, a gaffe, a mistake, or a failure, a personal failure. And she knew that during these times, it was almost as if all the dysfunctionalities, the anger, the, 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 uh, the hatred, and the bitterness that had accumulated over many, many years in these universities was pointed at her as she made that presentation. And somehow God worked so greatly that at the end of a presentation she shared on Thursday about how God had answered our prayers and that there was a turning in the atmosphere and her presentation was so well received that uh, the president, her president was just fully just changed and, and, and fully glowing in his, his, uh, his affirmation of it. There was something that took place that actually loosened the, 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 the atmosphere there, the relational, the institutional kind of a bind that was there. Something took place there that was amazing. And the Lord has spoken to, to, to her just two things. One, stay still. In the midst of the turmoil and in the midst of the storm, she was in a moment that was immense in which God just said, stay still, that there will be still. And the other thing is, prepare very well. Prepare very well, and she did. And uh, at the end of it, so many people came to her, just f- so glad. The whole atmosphere had changed, and so um, thankful for her presentation. And uh, there was such a softening. There was such a, 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 a lack of resistance to her. Something of a breakthrough had taken place. I'd like you to turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter twenty, and we'd like to look at one such moment that in the scriptures uh, we see something of that immensity that hangs on a place in which the people of God find out, found themselves in that looks really hopeless. A situation in which they could not do anything to help themselves but which was pivotal. Okay, let's have a look at this. Second Chronicles chapter 20. It came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Munites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazazon, Tamar, which is Engedi. 
Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord. He turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed the fast throughout all Judah. Verse 4, So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. Verse 6, And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? Are you not God in the heavens? Are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? Verse 8, They have lived in it and have built a sanctuary there for your name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. Now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given to us as an inheritance. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants and their wives and their children. Let's stop here for a little bit. You have a situation in which the enemies of, uh, of, of uh, Judah were amassing an uh, overwhelming uh, uh, number of people against them. They had uh, uh, kind of become a confederacy against uh, Jerusalem, and they were coming to attack, and they were very, very close. Now, it was so close, and they were so overwhelming, that Jehoshaphat and the armies of, uh, of uh, Judah were no match for them. There was, it was a, a virtual impossibility for them to actually stand up against this, this enemy. And these confederate enemies from Ammon, Moab, Moab Mount Seir and all, were coming very, very quickly. They were, they were at Engedi by, by then, and that was, that's really close. And they had very, very, very little time to prepare themselves. And even if they had prepared themselves, they would not be a match for those armies. And so they find themselves at a situation in which the chance, chances of survival were up almost zero, almost zero. Practically speaking, they were zero. And they found themselves in a situation that perhaps some of us may be experiencing where there is actually no resources, bills are meant to be paid, um, sickness has overtaken and has over, over, um, overrun uh, your body, um, situations in which you need nothing short of a miracle are right in front of you. And so it is this kind of situation that we find constantly there in the Bible where we, are find, we find ourselves on a little sliver, a little strand of space in which the enemy is about to come or disaster is right at the door and there is nothing you can do to stop it. The Red Sea experience is one of those. Yeah, the Red Sea experience is one of those. You have the children of Israel, they are being chased by the Egyptians and there's the Red Sea and there's nothing in between and, and there's nothing... Uh, no space for them to go. There is just a little narrow strand in which they can stand for the moment, but something must happen because there is no help. There are no resources. And I find that sometimes 
the Lord brings us into situations or allows us to come into situations in which our faith is tested. As a result of that, uh, Jehoshaphat does one thing, and this is something that is important for us. He sa- it says uh, that he set his, turned his attention to seek the Lord. To seek the Lord. He turned his attention to seek the Lord. This is in verse 3. He turned his attention to seek the Lord and to proclaim a fast throughout Judah. Now that is actually a practically, practically you do not see any result that can come out of that because he had run out of answers, he had un- run out of alternatives, but he set his heart to seek the Lord. And it's possible for all of us who are materialistic to think, what good would that do? Seeking the Lord and praying will only do something psychologically for, the, for your internal uh, well-being, but it has no material effect upon what's going on. And it is this that I think it's good for us to wrestle with. Is the Christian religion one that is only a comfort for our inner subjective feelings? Is it only a psychological salve or placebo and has no effect upon concrete reality outside of ourselves? Or is there something more towards this intangible thing of we call prayer? And it says Jehoshaphat set his heart to seek the Lord. And as he set his heart to seek the Lord, you can ask, how did he seek the Lord? Well, I suppose he turned his heart, it says, the writer of first, uh, Second Chronicles, he turned his heart towards the Lord. And it looks like as he turned his heart towards the Lord, everything was brought into question. And it's interesting that the way he asked the Lord questions in seeking the Lord is in a, in a sort of a, 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 a negative, positive way. The first thing he asks, he asks is, are you not? Are you not? So he's saying, are you? No, he didn't say are you. He says, are you not? Which means, I'm in doubt of that. You say you are, but are you not? Or are you? Are you not? You see this in verse, um, and I'm, we won't have time to, 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 to go into in, in detail, verse 6. Are you not the God of the heavens? And then he says again, um, another are you not? Are you not ruler of all the kingdoms of the, of, of the nations? Are you not? So he's asking God, God, this God that I'm talking to, are you, are you really who you say you are? Are you not? It's almost as if you come to somebody you trusted who has said, made promises to you and it doesn't look like the promises are going to come to pass. And you come to that person with a sort of a, a kind of a, a sideways glance and he says, are you not the one who said you're going to promise me that you're going to give me a car when I go to college? Are you not? Are you not? I'm in doubt. And so the seeking of God is a seeking through the doubts, through the lack of firmness of conviction, the lack of evidence, put it this way. It is a seeking of God in the face of serious doubts, serious realities. Are you not the God who says, he will supply, you will supply all my needs according to 
Not my need, but according to your riches in glory. I'm not seeing it. Are you not? And I love the way he answers this. There's a certain, there's a certain aggressiveness about it, a certain, a certain questioning about it. And this is the way he sought the Lord. He, he sought the Lord in the face of doubt. He sought the Lord in the face of a lack of experience of the, of the, of the fulfillment of that promise. And because of the fact that the, the thing that was at stake was that they had put their whole faith as a nation upon the protection of God, the covenant of God that God had made with them, that he would protect them if they would walk in his ways. And he's saying, are you not the God who said that? Now everything is being called into question. The second question, of course, is, did you not? And he talks about the history, right? He said, did you not? And this is, you can see this in verse um, 7. Did you not, O God, drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your father, forever? They have lived in it and have built a sanctuary there for your name, saying, should evil come upon us, disorders, judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. Now, behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade, okay, they have come to destroy us. And so what he's saying is this, I need to know whether you are really the God you say you are because that will call into question what you say you did before. The did you not is predicated upon are you not. If you, are, you cannot establish that you're the God who you say you are, then I have to question whether the Bible is true or not. I have to question whether you really did all those miracles or not. And not only that, I have a personal stake in this because I'm on the edge of disaster. And it's important for me not only to know academically whether you exist, whether you are the God of a covenant and you are everything that you say you are, but I've got Ammonites, Moabites, people from Mount Seir, and all these guys, and the termites and all the rest of them coming after me to eat me up. I have to know, will you not save us? And this is in verse, um, let's see, let's see, this is verse uh, 11. Will you not judge them? Will you not judge them? Because I have to know whether I can trust you for a very uncertain future in which I'm standing on the edge of all my resources and there's nothing out there. If I step out, I'm going to fall off the cliff. I have to know whether I can trust you or not. Did you? Are you? Will you? And I, I guess that brings us to this point where we are, right here. Will you, Lord, deliver us from our predicament? Will you, Lord, show yourself as God, as a God who's consistent with all the stories that we've heard about you? When I was a, a young Christian, I had heard many stories about, from my, my relatives, my, my, my parents were godly, godly people, my uncles and aunts, my grandfather. I heard these stories. And I had to know whether these stories were only for certain special people or for me as well. But right up to that time, I had not experienced anything that I could really be sure about 
And so because of that, my faith was not steady in times of uh, unsureness, in times of crisis. And it was at that time when I was in college that when I added up the sum total of all my Christian experience, it came to very, very little. It was nothing. It's like I could hardly remember anything. All I could remember was the stories that my uncles and aunts had told me and my parents had told me. I could, all I could remember was the miracles that I'd read about. But as far as my own personal experience was concerned, I could, I, I could not say anything about my own self. And it was in this place, I remember I was in college and I was uh, sitting for my finals. I had lived a terrible life. I lived a life in which I had been completely uh, 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 prof- profligate. And I had nothing to show for as, as we sat, sat for the last, the, 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 these exams. Exams were 10 weeks away. And I had hardly any notes. I had just been playing around. And I came to, to a point where I needed to know whether I could come back to God and God would change everything or not. And I remember sitting on the edge of my bed, remembering all the things that my parents had told me about God's reality and measuring that against my own paucity of experience and saying, God, I have to know whether you are real or not, whether you accept me or not, whether in the midst of all my, my own uh, um, uh, misdeeds, you can actually make me one of your sons. And I surrender my life to him. And I said to him, I remember that, my life is now yours. You have to help me to pass my exams because if I don't pass my exam, because my life is yours, then you have failed already. And I remember getting up from my bed and realizing my life is now God's. And now I will know. And I remember talking to God and telling God, you know, I don't deserve to actually pass this exam. My, my dean had, had banned me from the exams because I just didn't attend enough classes. And I remember during that time, I had to sit for one paper which I had foolishly signed up for, which was Mandarin. Okay, Mandarin, and, uh, and I, I'm Chinese, but I didn't, I, was, I didn't grow up speaking Chinese. And so I took Chinese because I thought that, you know, as a Chinese, it's, it's shameful for me not to be able to speak Chinese or speak Mandarin. So I took this Mandarin class, but I never attended the classes. I had, maybe I attended about 10 or 15% of the classes. And I remember saying, God, I not only have to pass all the, all the, all the English papers, I also need to pass the, the Mandarin paper. And I remember giving it up to him. For 10 weeks, uh, the 10 weeks had, uh, were, were, were very quickly uh, passed and I, I, had to, I had to get all the lecture notes from my friends. Uh, most of them were, were, had, had very good notes. I had hardly anything. And I remember people telling me, you have not written any notes. I've done all this work and you have done nothing. And now I'm going to give you my work? And I said, yes, please, 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 please. I realized there was not enough time to sit for the exam. But as I prayed, I made my commitment to God. I said, Lord, I'm not going to study until I've done my quiet time in the morning. 
I'm going to do, put you first. And that was the one way I knew how to say, I am committed to you. I put, did my quiet time. And I would do my quiet time, and then I would study. And while I was doing my quiet time, I would be so anxious about the fact that I'm not studying uh, immediately. But the Lord spoke to me, I'm going to show you. And I've shared this story uh, several times and during the time of the, the, the preparation for the exams and all that. I would hear a soft voice in my, in my heart for every one of my 10 papers. Study this, don't study that, study this. Study this, don't study that. And everything that I studied came out. Everything that, that I needed for the exam came out. And uh, then there was the Chinese, the, the Mandarin exam. When the Mandarin exam came, I remember the paper coming in. And what was I thinking? The Mandarin exam was in Mandarin. It was not in English. It was in Mandarin. So I didn't even understand the questions that were coming on the paper. And I remember sitting at that and I realized realizing how stupid I was to somehow think that God would bring me through. And I prayed, and I said, Lord, my life is really in your hands now. You have to help me. And if you don't, it's okay. I, do, I deserve it. I deserve to fail. And I began to start writing. Before I started writing, I saw my, profess, my, my, uh, my language instructor coming by, and I said, by the way, what does this question mean? And she scolded me in Mandarin. I don't know what she said. I know it was an essay question, and she just abused me, rightly so. And so I went back, and I just prayed. I took my pen, and then suddenly, something took hold over my hand. And I started writing in Mandarin, Mandarin that I knew, and even a few words that I did not know. And I read, I had no idea what the essay question was. I was just going to write what I was going to write. <laughs> and run the risk that what I had written and what the question was would be completely divergent. I got a B minus, and I passed the exam. But for the rest of the, uh, the, the, rest of the, the, the final exam, uh, actually, I, I was one of the top few, uh, top five in, uh, in, my, in my class of about 200, uh, 180, 200 people. I knew that God had come, come through. I knew that God was, God was real. And it was in this place that I would say, like Jehoshaphat, I was in, a, in what I would call an immense place, a place that is not just a place of desperation, but it was a place in which God wanted to show his immensity in my life. Let's carry on though. Um, it is in this place where, God, where Jehoshaphat sought the Lord. Psalm 34 says, I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all my fears. Now, I used to think that just means that he just comforted me and he made me feel better about myself and all that. Or, or he entered into the subjective realm and made me subjectively feel better. No, he's not saying that. The Hebrew is, the Hebrew is much more material, much more uh, um, uh, concrete than that, than, than, than this, having this separation between the internal and the external. When the psalmist says, when I sought the Lord, he delivered me from all my fears, it means that he not only delivered me from the subjective feeling of fear, but he delivered me from the very thing I feared. And what the psalmist is saying is this, you have to seek the Lord. That means seek him out. Not be satisfied. Wait upon him. Pray to him. Set your heart towards him. Ask him the questions. 
Wrestle with Him until God comes through and you are delivered not only from the fear that you feel subjectively, but the very thing that you are wrestling against that you are fearful of. And so seeking the Lord is not just a subjective, immaterial thing. It has substance to it. And my thesis to you, my, my, the thing that I want to push to you today is this, that when you are in a bind, and when you find yourself in this kind of situation, God wants to be immense in you. He wants to magnify Himself. He wants to cause Himself to be glorified and be more real in us and to establish our faith in Him. Not because of the fact that we do mental tricks upon us, but because of the fact that He shows Himself real. He shows Himself real. He puts the onus upon Himself to show Himself real. And so it is in this place that uh, uh, Jehoshaphat began to say, Are you? Did you? Will you? And you may have these questions. You may have, your, your questions may be about the Bible, or it could be questions about your future. But the Lord has, has you in this place because He wants to make immense things happen. The first, that's the first thing. He sought the Lord in, in a certain way. The second thing that, uh, strikes me is that he acknowledged his powerlessness. Let's have a look at this. Um, this is the prayer that he, he prays. Mm. Verse 12. On our God, O, o our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And I love this part in verse 13. All Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. So they brought their children before the Lord. Parents, fathers, and mothers, probably your children are the, the most precious ones, the, the, the issues of great, greatest uh, moment for you. You bring these children before the Lord because what was at stake was these children's lives. And I wonder whether there are some of us who, are, who, who God is speaking to bring your children before my presence, before the threat, before the um, overwhelming flood of adversity and bring them before me because in this unique place in which you find yourself not being able to know what to do or to have any resources or alternatives or answers in terms of what to do, where you are at a complete stalemate and you're completely paralyzed and there's nothing you can do that can help, you bring them before me. Because what's of most significance is this, that when you bring them before me and seek me, that which is of God begins to enter into the physical dimension. There are many of us who have found in this moment there is nothing physical, nothing human, nothing natural that can help you. It could be financial. It could be regarding a relationship with someone else. It could be some intractable situation as uh, this person in our prayer meeting found. And nothing of our own resources will help. 
And what needs to happen is that the dimension of heaven needs to break in in such a real way that at the end of it, you will not doubt whether God is for you or against, or against you. You will not doubt whether God is, has a plan for your life or not. And so he acknowledges his powerlessness. Now, I want to turn with you very quickly to 1 Samuel chapter 13, because there was another person who was faced with that situation, that was Saul. Do you remember in, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul was um, being, being, uh, being uh, um, um, chased by the Philistines, and uh, the Philistines were amassing uh, 30,000 chariots, uh, 6,000 horsemen, and people like the sand which is on the seashore in abundance. And we are here in 1 Samuel chapter 13. We will be reading it from verse 6. And when the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed, then the people hid themselves in caves, in thickets, in cliffs, in cellars, in pits. What you have here is a complete collapse in morale. There's a complete collapse of spirit in Saul's army. Also, some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead, but which is to actually um, uh, go on to the Philistine side. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people following him trembling. So the morale is low, very, very low. Now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set, set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring to me the burnt offering and the, and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the appointed days and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, Therefore, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. You see how you can be in an impossible situation and the mind immediately predicts, the mind projects into the, in, into the future and le- probably in a very logical way, in a statistically uh, sound way, and his mind projects to the future and he says, I know I, this is, this, I'm a goner. Therefore, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not asked the favor of the Lord I've not done the religious thing. So I forced myself, I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. He's not supposed to do that. And what he had done is that he had obtruded into the holy. He had put his hand and made something that's holy that is not supposed to be of man, of of human beings. It was only supposed to be of God, only and and in God's appointed way. He had obtruded into that and put his hand into that. And what he did was to actually, in the, in, the, in the constrained place that he was in, did what many of us would do. What he did was that he would take spiritual things and he makes them human, makes them and transforms them into something that was for, our, for, for, for human or selfish or, or egotistical purpose. And he repurposed the thing that is holy and made it, Profane. And we do this all the time. And Saul, in doing that, experienced the judgment of God. He wanted to stay religious. Still, he still wanted to stay kind of uh, 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 an Israelite, a person of the covenant. But what he'd done is that he'd taken the things of God and he reshaped it and repurposed it 
And, and here's a word that we always use. He reimagined it and made it into something that was for Saul, for his own uh, purposes. And what Samuel said is this. When it comes to holy things, they are so holy, you cannot use your Christianity to make it a bless me kind of thing. You cannot turn it and transform it and put your hands upon it and uh, intrude into the things of the holy. Another king that had done that was, the, of course, King Uzziah, who took the censer into the holy place and immediately um, he was struck. I want to put it to you that there's ways in which sometimes in, the, in our desperation, we can turn our Christianity into a bless me or help me, a self-help kind of situation in which the center of it all is not God but ourselves. The way in which we relate to God has to come in this manner in which we come before the holy and we say, we are dead before you, Lord. We are truly, truly helpless. We are truly uh, paralyzed. We truly do not know what to do. We truly do not want to do things in the flesh because we want in this possibly immense place for an immense God to show up. I believe that many of us are in such a situation today. I myself find myself in these situations many, many times. But it's these situations that have been used by God to prove to me whether he is a good God or he is an abandoning God. I really don't believe that the opinion of some Christians in which, well, God is not a triumphalistic God, he's not a, he's not a God like the charismatics believe who does all this whoop-de-doo stuff and, 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 and blesses us. God is a God who allows suffering and because of that, there is a certain randomness to the whole thing and life sucks and God is going to help you and all he can do is to comfort you in the, suck, the suckiness of life. I don't believe that either. I believe that God is a God who shows up. I believe that God is, is invisible but real. Invisible but real. His invisibility doesn't, is not explained by the fact that he is incorporeal or he's not real. It is explained by the fact that he is more real than we, our, imagining, our imagination, or our eyes, our ears, our senses can detect. He far exceeded, exceeds the scope and the ken of our own sensory perception or even our own mental perception. And for that to happen, he has to, to bow down with infinite humility to be able to make himself known to us. And he will, if you seek him. And so this is, a, this is the situation that we have. He understood, uh, um, Jehoshaphat, that he was completely helpless. Amen? So standing before God with the infant's he acknowledged his powerlessness and acknowledged that no human action could compensate for the human dilemma that he was in. That no human natural action would be commensurate with the human threat, the natural threat that he had. He had to look to God. And in this he prayed. And so here, let's have a look at some of the instruments with which God 
saved uh, the nation of uh, Judah. Okay, let's look at this. Let's look at verse 14. Then in the midst of the assembly, they are praying, they are setting themselves before God. The whole assembly com- combined and brought themselves, themselves to the Lord. I believe that there will come a time for us as a church in these days that we are living in, that that will need to happen soon. Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. And you need not fight in this battle. Station yourself. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. You're not going to have to fight this because the battle is not yours. You see, what Saul did was that he made the battle his. He made the things of God that, things of, that God was supposed to do, make it his. And he reduced everything that was holy, that was divine, into something that was human, human and paltry. It, he cut it all down to size in, so that all the things of God became Saul-sized. God says, I refuse that. I refuse that. You cannot reduce it, into, reduce it to your battle. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. And basically what the prophet was saying is, don't be afraid. You're going to stand. And just as you had no resources to do anything, in the same way, you have no resources to fight this battle. It is not yours. I will do it. Oh, what an amazing thing. Joseph had bowed his head with his, with his face to the ground. And all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshipping the Lord. And as they worshipped the Lord, the Levites, the sons of Kohathites and the sons of Korahites stood up in praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. And it says, and they made a very loud voice. I made a very loud noise. I want to put it to you that when the scripture says they made a very loud noise, they weren't just trying to rah-rah themselves up or rouse themselves up. I'll put it to you that in the face of the word of the Lord, in the face of seeking God, there was a space of time in which God by His Spirit began to rise up within them. Faith comes by hearing. And faith is a substance from something that was not substantial, they began to hear the voice of the Lord. They paid attention to Him. The Lord in their, in their prayer was taking them and taking their hearts, taking their spirit and causing their spirit that at first, at first, very, very small, very, very fearful, very pusillanimous and building it up and building up to such an extent that the roar in their spirit began to, began to rise up to such an extent that when they began to praise the Lord, they were not just trying to encourage themselves. By the time praise came to the Lord and became very loud, there was a roar that was full of substance in them. So much so that in the spirit, God began to do battle against the principalities and powers that were on the other side and defeat the enemy. That's why, because they won the battle in the spiritual realm, there was a victory on that side. Isn't that amazing? I've seen that again and again and again and again through prayer. 
I've seen that again and again and again and again through miracles. I remember one time there was a there was a there was a situation in my in uh, in uh, in my church in which um, some gangsters gangsters had come to to threaten the sisters that were staying in out in that in that mission house that was there, and one of them was able to somehow get a phone call in to the police and to us, and and to tell us please help us. Now I was far away. So I couldn't come back on time, and so were the other brothers. They were, we were all in a, easily about uh, 50 miles away, and the police were not answering. And the, and the intruders had already come into the house. And so I called the brothers, and, and, and I held their hands, and I said, we're going to pray, and we're going to defeat the, the powers that are over that, that, um, that, that, that situation. At that point, you have to know whether there is a spiritual realm or not. You have to know whether prayer actually really works or not. You have to know whether spirits really do exist. Because our sisters were being, being threatened. And I remember we prayed. And I remember it was somewhere in the afternoon. And we prayed. We raised our, our, our voice in prayer. Uh, five of us, we prayed, and we prayed. As we prayed, we began to feel the Spirit begin to, to rise up within us, and we felt something break. We prayed, and prayed in the Spirit until something broke. Quickly, we called back. The police came later, but something happened at the moment that we prayed. These guys just somehow just left. They just ran away. They must have heard something or, or something happened. But at the moment that we prayed and, we, and, and, and I feel that it was just probably almost precisely at the time when we felt that breakthrough, things actually happened. Another time we were in court, someone was suing us for this building because they wanted to t- turn this building into, a, into a, 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 a set of condos and we refused to let them uh, buy the building because we had the first right of refusal to buy it from the Baptist, American Baptist Church. And they took us to court. And I remember Cindy was praying with two other people and they were praying as we went into court. The lawyer for the other side, was a, for the developer who wanted to, to, to tear this building down and to make condos, said, we have unlimited funds. We will drain all your funds because you will not be able to do that, to, 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 to be able to, to fight us. And I remember something rose up in me and I said, are you sure? Because I want to say that if we beat you, it will be a miracle and you will have to acknowledge that it's a miracle even though we have very little funds and you have all the money. And he was shaken. Well, anyway, we went to court and when we went to court, there was the developer there with his lawyer and all that, very arrogant and, 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 and kind of swaggering in front of us. And then, got a call from Cindy and Cindy said, we were praying and we sense victory, we sense something breaking the atmosphere. Not more than 15 minutes later, the developer himself came to me and says, we're going to let you have it. We are, this is too much money we are spending. <laughs> can you imagine that? It's too much spending, it's too exp- expensive, and you can have it. We're going to withdraw our, our lawsuit. Can you imagine that? It is at that time when you realize whether there is a spiritual realm or not. And it's in this time that God showed us that there is a spiritual realm. Anyway, 
it is in this space, space that God wants to show himself mighty on our behalf. I'm going to end up with, with these, these uh, last few words. Jehoshaphat comes and he speaks to the, to, the, to, the, to the nation and he puts these words out. Listen to me, O Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord, your God, and he will establish you. God is here to establish you and me. He said to, earlier Samuel said to Saul, because you have done this, acted foolishly, your kingdom will not be established. The space that we sometimes find ourselves in when we are caught and we are paralyzed and there's nothing we can do is a space where God wants to establish you and me in the faith. Seeking the Lord through all our doubt, through all our struggles, coming before Him, giving our lives to Him, allowing Him to be waited upon, not giving up, not going to the flesh, not obtruding into and, 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 and defiling holy things, being dedicated before Him, calling on the, on the Lord and praying until the, the raw begins to. to, to to, to move from a, a small sound to a loud sound inside, inside here. Dedicating ourselves to prayer. Dedicating ourselves to the fact that God is immense and wants to show himself mighty on our behalf. Let us pray. I don't know how many muscles it takes for us to stand still. But I know that standing still is not the easiest thing. But I want to invite you, I want to invite us as a church, to stand still by trusting Him, waiting upon Him, engaging in prayer. And we find that daily, we come into prayers often with our anxieties, fiddling around and our hearts are jumping all over the place distracted, but when we set our heart towards Him, the Holy Spirit helps us until stillness comes. Just remember the part of the last song in worship, know His power in quietness and trust. So maybe we can just take a few minutes right now just to talk to God hear his voice. It's there. The ocean rises, thunders pour, roar. When oceans rise and thunders roar, are oceans rising and thunders roaring in your life? The battle is not yours. 
and the Lord wants that battle. Give it to him today. He wants to show himself real, strong on your behalf and my behalf. There are several of us who have no recourse except to God. God must show up. You can't mentally or emotionally twist yourself into the right attitude or positioning. You just have to call upon him and wait upon him. The psalmist said, I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all my fears, not only the subjective aspect of it, but the objective reality of those fearful things. He delivered me from all that. And I pray that as a church, we will all have not only the book knowledge about that, but the very experience of that, so that it will be flesh and blood in our lives. The Bible has only one word for no that, that um, sorry, it has more words than for, for no, but there's one word in the, in the Hebrew that tells us about that kind of knowledge. It's an intensive knowledge. It's a knowledge that is, is experienced. And the word yadat or da'at has to do with the fact of that kind of knowledge. He's not satisfied for us to have an intellectual knowledge of God, of himself. But he wants us to be one with him. Give your life to him today. If you are in a situation and you're tempted to bag it, to run away from God or to give up, I want to invite you to stand now. Stand in his presence. Not necessarily physically, but stand in your heart. The rest he has to do. And in that sense, it is simple. Not easy, but simple. I just sense that part of what happens to us is we are so afraid of suffering. We're so afraid. It makes us run away from battles. But Jesus reminds us again that he actually carried that suffering. So as you allow yourself to enter it, you're going to meet him in the suffering. You're going to find where he's carrying you because, yeah, it's too much for you. So, Lord, we pray right now for those of us, God, who are so addicted to running away. Amen. We're so addicted. We ask right now in Jesus' name, you would help us be still right now. Amen. You'll help us meet you as we watch you face our battles and we watch you win in our battles in Amen. Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, we thank you that as, even as you put the enemy to flight and they began to the writer says, help each other to destroy each other. You help us to stand. I pray for every single person who's on the edge right now. We pray for every single person who's on the edge. That in the midst of all that, the hardest thing to do perhaps for them is to stand. So we ask you that you strengthen each person in the midst of this, that strength will rise. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.